You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Well, hey, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I love um, just preaching God's Word in general and learning it, but when you can kind of dive into a particular book and you kind of, for me, it's a little nice because... I'm just, I'm such a rabbit trail thinker, a potential AD, att- or attention deficit uh, person. And, um, and I, when it's just nebulously like, go and like preach about Jesus's love, it's like, well, you could say anything, you know, and you can go everything. So I actually like kind of the bumpers of Galatians of like getting into a book and saying like, okay, we have this passage, there is a context, this is a specific thing, you know. So it's nice for me because it feels a little bit focused. Um, but I'm really excited about it. Again, I would encourage you to like keep reading with Galatians. Let's just be a people that are steeped in this together. Obviously, there's so many other good scriptures, um, and please be reading that. But just be steeped in Galatians, reading it. We do have the plan. We are going to put it on our website this week, so uh, I don't know how many copies we have. Take them with you or take a picture of it, but it'll be on our website. Um, but I remember uh, early on, I learned where Galatians was in the Bible. It's kind of hard to know because when you get past the Gospels, it's all just kind of like these letters and these things everywhere, you know. And I learned uh, these pneumatic, pneumatic device, pneumonic, pneumonic. Pneumatic is like, like mechanical. No, not pneumatic. Yeah, pneumonic devices of where, how to, how to, how to um, see where Galatians is in the Bible. And I remembered it was go eat popcorn. You guys heard that before? No, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. And it's right after, it's an Acts in the letter to the Romans, first and second Corinthians, and then go eat popcorn. And, uh, and it was really awesome. And so I remembered that in my mind, and if you guys can lock that in. There were also a couple funny ones that I remembered. I had to go to the internet to, to remember them, but there was one from the 10 plagues in Exodus. You can remember it this way. Big fat gnats fly low, boiling hot lava drips flow, let my people go. <laughs> that was all the, the plagues. And then, of course, my favorite was the minor prophets and how you could remember them here. How jolly amateurs obediently made nutritious haggis, zealously hugging zipped melons. Just memorize that. You can know all the minor prophets. It's, it's all you ever need to know. Obviously, we need prayer before we dive in today. Um, Let's pray, and let's dive into it. God, thank you so much for laughter. Thank you so much for ways we can remember. Ultimately, uh, we just want to know your word. We want to be a people that know your word well, and when we know your word, we know you, and when we know you, we know us, Um, and God, it's just such a good thing. So thank you for being our God. We want to be your people Thank you for this letter today that we get to dive into. Um, we just want to give our time to you and pray in your name. Amen. All right, so Galatians. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of lay the foundation work for the historical background for Galatians, uh, what happened, how the churches that Paul is writing to were established, what was going on, some of the earlier tensions, so that when we in subsequent weeks get into all the passages, we kind of know this is who the people were. This is what they were dealing with, that kind of thing. Okay, so we're going to kind of dive into it. Uh, we're doing the first 10 verses of Galatians today, plus some background. So verse 1, Paul in Apostle. Pause. So you're going to be like, man, this is going to take forever. Um, so real quick, uh, there's a lot you could say about Paul. 
Okay, there's a lot. And if you've grown up in church, you, you know about Paul, you've read about him. Uh, he was once a very different man named Saul. I would encourage you to go read Acts chapter 9, which is kind of his conversion story. Uh, but he was actually raised in the Jewish religious system as a Pharisee. Later in Acts 23, he actually says, self-proclaimed, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. He, he even called himself, I am the most Pharisee person you could like ever meet. I know this stuff so well. Um, and before he believed in Jesus, before he came into contact with Jesus, he actually persecuted the early Christian church. And that's what kind of leading up to Acts chapter 9 is about. But then Acts chapter 9 happens. You can go read it. We're not going to dive into it. But Jesus like, shows up, just shows right in front of him. He's like, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Blinds him, but then he comes back. Go read it. It's a crazy story. Um, so then Paul, instead of then pursuing Christians to kick down the doors and drag them to jail, he pursues Christians to encourage them and encourage them in the Lord, encourage them in the word of God and to take that message of Jesus to them. But then he was felt commissioned to be an apostle, okay, to be an apostle, which is the initial sent disciples from Jesus himself to the outside world, to this Gentile world. Okay, this is a, this is a pretty large claim to say, Paul, an apostle. I am an apostle, because typically this was just for the people, the disciples, the eyewitnesses that were with Jesus. Um, but claiming to be an apostle from Jesus Christ is a big deal. That honor was only given to those 12, but Paul believes that when he encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus, when he encountered Jesus, so why are you persecuting me, gave him a new identity, right? He was later then to be called Paul, not Saul, but Paul. Okay, that was this kind of Christian given name, that that was his commissioning to now be an apostle, to carry on the good news of Jesus Christ. So he believes that that is what gives him the authority and the commissioning to now be an apostle like they would know of Peter and James and John and those kind of guys. So this is why Paul clarifies the next verse in our passage today. An apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So again, Paul, he's making it clear that he didn't just commission himself. He didn't just get a vision one day and is like, oh, I'm an apostle too. This is cool, you know. Jesus Christ made him an apostle. Jesus Christ gave it to, is a God-given task to Paul himself. And the goal of his apostleship wasn't to bring a new revelation to the people of God, but to bring the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord of the world. And frankly, just Real quick, just caveat, it makes me nervous today. I don't know if you guys have heard, like, in the church when people say, like, the apostle, and then it's a person. It's someone standing up there, right? Here, here's why there's a, there's a little bit of an issue with that, and we can talk more about this afterward if you want. But self-proclaimed apostles, apostles among the church today, that implies that there is a new message or a new revelation, something that we don't already have in the scriptures, something that we don't already know. So an apostle has a new message that wasn't already revealed by Jesus and bringing it now to the church. And you can see where that can kind of get a little bit sticky. Like, uh, how do you know? What can you bring it back to? That kind of thing. So here at Hub City, we just, we kind of caution that a little bit and say like the apostleship, what we believe is in the compiled word of God and is the revealed of Jesus as Lord, not some new message of that. So we can talk more about that. I'd love to buy a coffee and talk you more, but I know that's a thing out there. And so just want to say that's what we believe in when we hear apostle here. 
But here, Paul is writing a letter to these churches stating that sharing the good news of Jesus was not just something he was passionate about. This was actually a commissioning by Jesus himself that he was to go out. And he was associated with the brothers. So the people would know that. They would hear the brothers and they'd say, oh, okay, he's, he's associating with one of the OG apostles, with like the people that were with Jesus and knew Jesus well. And this Jesus movement, at post his, his death, his resurrection, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord, is called Christianity. That's literally what it was called. And it began as a Jewish messianic movement. But through Paul and some like him, it quickly spread out beyond kind of the Jewish areas and realms into the Gentile world. So before long, what you have is you have this mixture of almost just as many Jewish Christians as you do Gentile Christians. So a lot of these places are mixed now with mixed ideologies and stuff, but they're trying to find out what it means to follow God. So the next line, Paul writes, to the churches of Galatia. So this is where we're going to get a little bit historical, okay? So Paul goes on these missionary journeys where he brings the gospel to these Gentile nations proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ, not only to the Jews, but to these Gentiles. Okay, well, this catches on like wildfire. And interestingly enough, if you go read Acts, you'll see many times there's this juxtaposition between the Jews who grew up with this and are now hearing it, but they actually have issues with it, and the Gentiles who didn't grow up with any of this stuff are hearing it for the first time and are just like, yes, more. I would love to have more of this. And it's funny that, you know, the Jews had the law to base it on, and the Gentiles were called lawless. They just didn't have anything. They believed willy-nilly. They were heathens. What are pagans? This kind of thing, right? But they were grasping onto it. So real quick, I want to read, uh, I want to get into it. If you have a Bible, uh, go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, 14, and some of 15 is a lot of the historical context of Paul, his first missionary journey of actually establishing the churches of Galatia. Okay, so recorded in these chapters is a background of these small, most likely house churches that were then established all throughout the region as Paul's first missionary journey. And this whole region was called Galatia. So if you go read Acts 13 and 14, you'll see a bunch of towns named and a bunch of areas, and that whole, all that compiles Galatia. Okay, so when you say the letter to Galatians, it's not to a specific like town or people, it's to an area. Okay, that makes sense? Kind of like if the letter was written to Albanites. I don't know, what do you call it? Yeah, what do you call us? You figure it out. So Paul and his buddy in Acts 13, Paul and his buddy Barnabas go around encouraging and teaching the way of Jesus to Jews and Gentiles alike. So in Acts 13, we see Paul enter into a synagogue on a Sabbath, and after the leaders there, as was their practice, they read the law and the prophets, they ask the brothers, is there any encouraging word? And Paul is not shy, <laughs> and he stands up and he belts out a sermon, and I would encourage you to read the sermon, it's incredible. And how does he do this sermon? He just retells God, the history of God's people, which is actually super common. If you think we do a lot of history here, and you're like, oh, Matt, we get it. Like, you, if you understand that, like, that's most of the sermons in the New Testament are just from like Sinai to Jesus, from Sinai, from David to Jesus. Peter, Peter in Acts 2 goes from Sinai to Jesus. Paul here in Acts 13, he goes to Saul, he goes to David, he goes to Sinai, comes to Jesus Christ. So Paul preaches this message that there is salvation now for all who believe in Jesus Christ. In Acts 13, 38, he concludes here, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, 
and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So this is mind-blowing and so encouraging to the Gentiles who have never been under the law of Moses. But now they were given this faith that traditionally always was. So there, there were, of course, some offended by this new message that we're clinging to, like, but what about the law? This is how we've grown up. This is all we know. This is how you follow God. So they were, they were wondered by it. So verse 44 of chapter 13. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God, or word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So they're calling out the Jews here, being like, guys, this is the message for you. Jesus fulfilled that law. If you truly knew the law and followed it, you'd see that there was a need for a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. But you thrust it aside, so we're turning to those who would take it and would believe. So verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, which is another place in Galatia. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so as we're reading this, you can see the tensions building here. This would be hard. It's hard to carry this message to people that are so in their ways and so stuck in the ways that they knew, they thought was right. And he's preaching, Paul and Barnabas are now preaching to these people that these are the areas that are making up the church of Galatia or the Galatians. I think it's really helpful to see the vision of how these churches started, the original tensions that they had, so when we go through Galatians, we'll know what the kind of people God is speaking to, or sorry, Paul is speaking to. So the original tension was that the gospel of Jesus Christ was founded on grace, not the law. Now again, to you and I, this might not seem like a massively huge deal, but it was a big deal in Bible times. Israelite ancestry is all about being a people group that was set apart from other people groups and given a law that was for them to look, act, and be completely devoted to one God. This is how they live. This is how they taught their children, taught their children's children throughout the generations, always expecting and waiting for one day when God himself would bring complete salvation and they would be his people and they would be his God. So the tension was, was that Jesus? Was that Jesus? Did Jesus just do that thing that they've been waiting for? Or are we still under the law? Jesus was some prophet, some cool guy, some really cool rabbi. That's great, but we're still under the law. We're still waiting. This is where that belief in Christ as the Son of God really came in. Was Jesus the real Son of God? When he died on the cross, did he actually cosmically forgive sin? So that whoever would believe in him, regardless of ethnicity, 
regardless of social status, would be forever reconciled to God in grace and have new life that would begin to look like heaven on earth. That's the tension. Was Jesus really it? And this is what the gospel is all about, the message that Paul is taking to the world. This has great implications. If this is true, this means that you don't have to be a certain ethnic group anymore to find salvation in Christ. This means you didn't have to act a certain way to find salvation in Christ. Though following Christ means a certain lifestyle change, you didn't earn it by that lifestyle. You can understand the tension here. There were, of course, devout Jews that believed that Jesus was not the Christ. Maybe they liked him, maybe they obeyed his teachings, but not the Christ who fulfilled the law and the prophets. So the law and prophets were still in effect, and, and going away from them would be heresy, would be blasphemy, would be breaking covenant. And you can imagine as a Gentile who didn't grow up in Jewish culture, wasn't trained in the scriptures from an early age in rabbinical school, never had a rabbi to follow, now feels incredibly drawn and wanted and loved and compelled by this new salvation in Christ, but also the tension of now coming into what has been someone else's faith. Up until this point, the Jewish people have always been the representation of their God. And now the message was that all who believe Jesus is Lord is now that representation. It's a lot to take in. You can imagine the message just hits in all different ways. So these early churches are trying to figure it out. They're trying to stick close to the scriptures. They're trying to parse out what it means to live in this new spirit of God, learning about who God is and was and Jesus and his teachings And now the fundamental teachings of how to follow God, not contrary to the law, but fulfilling the law. How do those work? In the meantime, there's these groups of Jewish Christians in that same region that have lots of influence with these churches in Galatia, right? There were certain practices for them that were non-negotiables, right? Practices like Sabbath. Well, you you at least have to keep the Sabbath. You at least have to be circumcised. You at least have to only eat kosher. Like that, those are just like base, right? You have to do that. And these are baseline practices for following God, to obey the Torah, to keep obeying the law. So for them, they just believe this so strongly. So to hear, you know what? You don't actually have to do any of those things to be the people of God is like, mm, no, we just, we just can't. We can't let that go. So Paul and his companion, they're having a really tough time trying to preach this gospel with that influence also being in the area. Both Jews and Gentiles are like are confused. Some are siding with Paul and Barnabas. Some are siding with these Jewish Christians. So flip over to Acts chapter 14, if you guys are still with me. Get some coffee if you're getting sleepy. However, the Jewish Christians, they're starting to get a little bit hostile. They're, st- they're starting to kind of like step up their game a little bit. Okay, so in Acts chapter 14... Verse 2, I'm going to skip around a little bit, and I'll read a little bit. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Okay, So they're still at it. They're still saying, no, don't listen to Paul and Barnabas. This is not a good message. This Jesus was not who they say he was. So they, Paul and Barnabas, they actually stay in that area. They preach. They keep trying to encourage the church there. They're showing signs and wonders, but again, some couldn't decide, and they're on the fence about it. What are we going to do? And then, actually, I forgot to put slides in here, but I just want to read you. There's this funny little story right in the middle of Acts 14 that actually gives us uh, a really good insight to why also this is so hard for the Gentiles. Because, like, why, what are they going off of that would make it hard to believe that Jesus was Christ? 
Um, so I did, let me just read this for you because I tried to tell, tell it and I think it's just brilliantly written. So this is Acts 14, 8 through 15. Now at, at Lystra, which again is an area in Galatia, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycanonian, whatever their language is, that gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Like, I found that so fascinating, that story, because we keep the harping in the letter is of these Jewish Christians that are trying to make the Gentiles look like the law, right? But then it's funny that you read the Gentiles, that's, that's what the Jews are defaulting to, you read the Gentiles, see the work of God, hear the word of Jesus, and what do they default? They default to like the Greek pantheon, right? They're like, oh, well, we know, we, this is our foundation of the thing, and we're just going to go, you must be Zeus, you must be like Hermes, because you guys are doing this miraculous things. The problem is they both had pre-existing religious foundations that they were trying to fit Jesus into. You see, this is the tension. The Jews were trying to fit Jesus. How does Jesus fit into still the law? Gentiles were trying to figure out how does Jesus fit into however we grew up, right? Whatever this can be. And, and they were very, very Greeked, right? Um, and this just, you can see the frustration with Paul of like, guys, don't you get it? Jesus doesn't just fit into an existing religion. Jesus is the new belief system, right? Jesus is not just a face or a prophet representing some new thing to believe in. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the king of a new kingdom, right? This whole new identity is what Paul and Barnabas are trying to preach to these people in Galatia, and they keep defaulting to what they think their identity is. And even if this was still not enough to keep the hostility out, this is chapter 14, 19. Um, I think I typoed it. Can you put it on the slide there? 14, it says 14, 9. Yeah, that's 19. Sorry, my bad. Not heretical, but my bad. 14, 19. <laughs> But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they go as far as to stone Paul and drag him out of the city. It's not great. We're getting too much into this, but briefly, Paul recovers. Uh, he moves into a different area, actually ends up coming back to Antioch, preaching the same message. And at the end of the day, the gospel of Jesus, the movement could not be stopped. 1427. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, so I know that was a lot, a lot in there, but just, again, I think it's so fascinating to hear, kind of like last week when we hear about like Hub City, like a church like this, what are we about? How did it start? What is, what is the vision for it? It's kind of like this, these churches in Galatia, what are they about? How did they begin? What are the original tensions that were going 
on there. So we know why Paul is penning this letter. Okay, so now to the letter of Galatians. Paul, having established these churches, having gone through all of this, having preached this message, he knows the tensions, he knows how people are struggling with all sorts of stuff, he hears how the churches are doing. And what's happening is these Jewish Christians who are still devout to the law, not necessarily believing Jesus was the Christ, that are kind of undermining Paul and saying, hey, you don't need to listen to Paul and Barnabas, that message, it might sound good, but it's not actually the message. You still need to be circumcised, eat kosherly, you need to observe the Sabbath, all the things that were back in the law. Paul's hearing about this, and these churches in Galatia that, again, are mixed with Jews and Gentiles are now caving in this pressure, are saying, okay, maybe you're right, maybe we should do this. And Paul's frustrated saying, guys, I was there with you. I was stoned for this. You saw their anger. You saw how they could not accept this message. This is what you need to accept. So he's writing this letter to those churches as they're caving under this pressure. So Paul, it's nice. He always starts out with a little bit of a nice greeting. Honestly, this is the nicest part of the whole letter. Uh, Verse 3 of Galatians 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so he's just kind of setting up like, hey guys, it's me. Let's just, let's recenter real quick. Remember, Jesus is Lord. This is the focus here. This is under grace. We can all kind of agree that there, there is something not right with the present age and there's salvation that is needed. Let's come to grips with that. But now I'm going to get right into it. So verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Remember, we just looked, the gospel was preached to the people who make up these churches. The gospel that is the belief in the life and death of Jesus as the Son of God who saves, not personal legalistic action or national heritage, this is what was preached in Jesus Christ alone, and this is what was accepted and what made up these churches. And yet here, when, the, when those loyal to the law came to you with the same legalism that was before Jesus, and you guys are caving to it, I'm astonished by this. How can you just lose that fast? Do you see the subtle way that Paul makes this very personal and relational? Quote, that you were so quickly deserting him who called you. It's not like, oh, you've kind of like changed your stance on something or like moved denominations, but you're actually rejecting the one who called you God, the Father himself. Paul's saying if you look at Jesus, you look at the cross, you look at the grace by which you were saved, and then you say, yeah, that's awesome, but that's not enough. I also need to do X, Y, and Z, that you are actually rejecting what Jesus did on the cross, thus rejecting Jesus, right? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except for me, except all the different ways that I also want to go to the Father. Like, that is rejecting Jesus as the way. So the persistence in pursuing other means to justify what it means to be Um, delivered is not in line with this. Now, this whole series, we're going to have to pause. We're going to hear a lot of stuff. Again, this was a letter not written to us, but always written for us in the scriptures. And we have to kind of reconcile what we're hearing and what's going on in our hearts. And we first need to always gospel ourselves. 
right? We, we often can get in trouble of doing this, right? Intentionally or unintentionally pursuing other means to justify what it means to be saved. Like, even if we have good theological understanding of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and then that compels us to do good works because of the new life we have in Christ, we still get caught in the trap of needing to prove something or to prove our case to God of why he should love us, why he should bless us, right? This is not, the encouraging thing is this is not a new issue. Like, humans have been struggling this forever, and so there's incredible grace for reading about a people who make up a church way long ago that, that are very well could be half Jewish Christians, half Gentiles, half grew up with this stuff, half have heard it for the first time. There was a lot to figure out, and we know that struggle. But we can all agree, remember the big picture. As you look at the Bible on the whole, and God has always been trying to reconcile his people back to him so that they could be one, one people, one faith, one God, one family. This letter isn't just written to one church. This letter is written to the whole church of the area of Galatia. Of course, they looked a little different. They were one, diverse, but unified in the saving grace of Jesus. And we'll see that there's this balance that's needed throughout Galatians of reading about diversity and racial tensions between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews who were tempted to feel superior in the faith from their rich history, and practices, and the Gentiles who are new to the faith and supposed to now be welcomed and freely as equals. This new, diverse, multi-ethnic family of God is trying to figure out what does this look like in our time. So, back to our letter. Paul's heartbroken and rebuking the church for turning away so quickly and swinging the pendulum to thinking that in order for them to be saved, they have to now adhere back to the law that the Jews were given before Jesus. And he uses the phrase, you've gone to a different gospel, then he quickly clarifies what he means, verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Like Paul, he used that language, but it's like, listen, but there's, there's not even another gospel. You think you're going to something else, and you're not. There's only one true gospel. And Paul goes on to clarify this, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I will say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You have received this message. You felt this message deep in your soul, and you accepted this message. This message from, was from Jesus Christ himself, passed through the apostles. And it's funny that Paul uses two examples. He doesn't say the Jewish Christians. He doesn't say the leaders of the church. He puts himself, the apostles, or an angel from heaven. Like, which is more likely to come down and preach a new gospel? And even if they were, maybe you'd listen to them. You shouldn't listen to them. Like, let them be accursed. It's a bit of a slam for the people who are actually giving a new message. It's kind of funny. But why would you go and listen to these other people who really are just like you? They come in and they culture shame you into looking just like them, doing just what they do, thinking they have the right way to express what it means to follow God because they have not accepted Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, Jesus as Lord. Paul strikes at the heart of the matter here, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's a lot we could talk about right there. 
But a servant of Christ means listening to his teachings, obeying and believing in what he says is true. And when Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. That is the truth. It's no longer a life lived in ways that please man or what is socially acceptable, but in obeying God and his word. Am I seeking the approval of man or God? Like, what a great question. It doesn't matter what context we read that question in, it is always relevant. Paul is bringing his readers back to the gospel truth and away from the corruptions of what the outside world wants the church to be about, what the identity of those who now belong to Jesus should be. Galatians is a letter of identity. Galatians is a letter of defaulting to a new identity in Christ. Identity in what Paul will later claim in Galatians 2.20 is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If there was ever a time for a church to come back to the identity that is found in Christ, it was then and is it not now? Like, is it not now? We too are being inundated with the values of the world and even within Christian church culture with bad or false teachings that move us away from the gospel that we have received in Jesus. Just like the Jews defaulted to the law and the Gentiles defaulted to whatever their belief systems were, we default to something. Like we all have that, how we grew up, foundational identity pieces of who we think we are. We default to that. And how does Jesus fit into that? But the prayer is that through this book and Paul's prayer for the church of Galatia is that our default becomes our identity in Christ, our new creation identity in Christ, foundation in Christ. The people of God need to hold true to the values of the kingdom of God and what it means to follow Jesus in the present age. So there's some background of Galatia. We know now when we're reading things, you can picture these people. Picture half the Jewish um, population, half the Gentile population making up these churches, struggling again with like, man, Jesus is Lord, but what about all these other things? What about these other things? And trying to figure that out. Just like we struggle every day. We struggle every day to like, Jesus is Lord. We can say it. There's lip service, but is he in our lives? Is he truly, is he truly Lord of everything? Or are we trying to fit him into saying like, yeah, but I I want to worship you and I hope you bless me, but I'm going to hold fast to a couple of these other things in my life. What does surrender truly mean? And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the finished work on the cross and the Messiahship of Jesus. This is what's in Galatians. These are the things that he brings out. Look at the finished work on the cross, Messiahship of Jesus, the now diverse, multi-ethnic family of God, and what it means to walk in the Spirit and be transformed people. And all this is through Paul's letter to these churches in Galatia. We can learn much from Paul's letter here about what was going on in the church of Galatia to then use as a mirror for us here in Albany, Oregon. So much more in the future, and yet same issues, still struggling with Jesus as Lord. What does that look like in our lives? So our purpose today is to lay the groundwork for the context of this book that we're going to be studying and steeped in the next couple months. We're getting a glimpse of the tension and pressures of the people that make up these churches in Galatia as they navigate what it means to follow Jesus. 
and how it changes their paradigm of salvation from one that is earned or inherited in their family line to one that they haven't earned, but they freely receive. And also then freely welcome all who believe into the new family of God founded on the work of Jesus Christ. And we can celebrate that this is the nature of a good God that we worship and follow. This too is the basis for our faith, is it not? That we have not earned, but we have freely received through the grace of God. This is the message and why we can so freely worship our God. This invitation into the family of God through Jesus' work on the cross is good news of peace and hope that we get to carry. Just like we talked about last week, we, the people of God, together, when we meet here and individually in our lives, we carry this good news of heaven on earth that only comes from peace through Jesus Christ. We haven't earned it, but we can freely receive it because of how good our God is. And that's why we're going to respond to that today. That's the foundation for Galatians. Let's respond to that today, okay? We get to respond to that, that Jesus is Lord. And when we worship, when we sing songs, when we pray together, or individually, or with your neighbor, with your spouse, or friend, like when we get to pray with that, we are, we are reforming ourselves, saying, God, there's a lot that I know I'm holding on to. I'm not trying to, or maybe I am trying to. I want to confess that. But there's a lot, Lord, that I don't feel like you are Lord of. I still feel like I'm holding on to these things. When we sing songs declaring God's majesty, when we pray saying, Lord, take, I need your spirit to, 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 to dwell in me. I cannot wait for the late, later half of Galatians where he talks about the desires of the flesh warring against the fruit of the spirit. If you go read those lists, like I, I, we, I think we all desire the fruits of the spirit so much and that is in surrender of Jesus as Lord. And then again, we get, to, we get to give of our finances for the common good of our community. We want to be a blessing to our community, and we get to go receive communion, which is so incredible. We want to make that central, that no matter what we're learning, we are always coming to the table. This is always because of, of Jesus's finished work on the cross, his blood shed, his body broken for us. So when you take the bread and you take the cup, remember this is all because of Jesus's finished work on the cross. Let's worship our King today.